0: I've decided this morning that, it, that I should have a conversation with you about the will of God. <laughs> That'd be all right? And I'm thinking maybe it should be a conversation. So I'm going to use a stool again. I'm going to take my wife's advice and sit back further so I'm not putting my back to anybody. He, he said, we look at your back when you turn. I said, baby, that is my best side. <laughs> I sit up here. I see some of you going. <laughs> like I said, there's a lot of people in our church that are making decisions, and they're all over the place. And um, what it gets hard when there's when they're made under duress. We only have a short window of time to make them. And if there's money involved, or there's other people involved, our family and close friends, then it becomes even harder. But these decisions that we have to make, they just sometimes. They just torture us. You guys, my my dream for the next couple of minutes that I have with you is that I could please, in God's name, liberate you and free you from the torture that some of us are living in of, of not following the will of God. We've got this almost paranoia that we're going to get this wrong and if we get it wrong we're going to screw up our lives but you guys I'm not reading anything close to that in the old testament or in the new testament what I'm reading is a tremendous amount of freedom Paul said where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom Michael Jordan said, "Jump and decide in the air." But I like Paul's version better. There's liberty when you move in the spirit of the Lord. Back in the Old Testament, the process of discerning God's will was pretty long and involved. The priest wore a breastplate of decision, Exodus 28 calls it. It was the Urim and Thummim, and nobody knows what that was. Was it stones that glowed in the dark? I've read that. Was it just stones? Was it sticks? Nobody knows what the Urim and Thummim was, but the priest would carry this breastplate over his chest into the presence of God, carrying the decisions of the body with him. He would go into God's presence. He would try to discern what God's will was for the people. He would then come out of that presence and relay that will to them. Sometimes they would cast lots. Sometimes they would use fleeces. You know the story of Gideon. Sometimes they would consult stars, though the Old Testament speaks against that, and a few would even consult mediums to see if they could somehow get the will of God. The trouble is that none of these devices ever occur after Pentecost. Not even the fleeces. There seems to be a fundamental shift in the way the people of God hear God's voice after Pentecost. The reason, I think, is because the two common assumptions that many people in the Old Testament had, and many in the room this morning still have, is that one, the will of God is something else, something other, something out there, and it is different from my will. We just begin assuming we're wrong. And there's reason for this. Isaiah 55, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. And so the people of God read that and go, oh my goodness, see that? There is no way I can get up there and get God's thoughts, which would be true if that were the last word, but it isn't. As far back as Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is already telling the people of God that the commandment I am giving you today is not too hard for you. Listen to what he says. It is not high in the heavens, so you have to send someone up to get it. In other words, it's not esoteric, some kind of heavenly gibberish that only a couple can discern. Nor, he says, is it beyond the sea. So you have to send somebody across the sea to find it. It's not esoteric. It isn't far removed. Listen to Moses. No, the word of the Lord is in your mouth and it is in your heart so you may obey it. You played the game, you're getting warmer, colder. When you were a kid, you're looking for something and the person sits on the couch and says, oh man, you're getting warmer, warmer, warmer and you're moving around, warmer, warmer and finally you're standing and they go, man, you are burning up. And you're looking around going, where is it? So you start wandering off and then they go, oh no, now you're getting colder and colder. Moses is saying the word of the Lord is right here with you. You're burning up. You don't have to wander off into some far place, into some elite prestigious few people who have an inside track with God. You're in this is a huge change in the way people thought of God's voice. And Isaiah, about seven 800 years later, would say the same thing. He would say, when you were walking, even as you were crying out, you will hear a voice. It's behind you. It implies movement now. You're not sitting or standing in anything. You are moving and you'll hear a voice and it will say, whether you go this way or that way, it will say, that's the way. Walk in that. Do you hear freedom in this? So so Paul picks up this freedom in Ephesians chapter 1 and he assumes, you guys, that everybody in this room who is in Christ has that kind of freedom. Paul says a couple of things about the will of God that I think might rattle you. One of them is that the will of God for your life Is not something you have to figure out. It is something that has already happened. You're not deciding God's will for your life. If you were in Christ this morning, you were already in God's will for your life. Listen to Paul for he chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined and every wesleyan went mm-hmm. chill out predestination another subject is less about who and more about what he predestined us for what to be Holy and blameless in his sight, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and as daughters. Listen for it according to the pleasure of his will. There it is. It's not something that you're standing and trying to discern, it's something you were already in this morning. It's not going to happen, it happened. So if you find yourself talking to Paul and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not hugely helpful. Well, first, that's a problem. But, But if you find yourself saying, no, 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 I think we're talking past each other. You are. It's because you and Paul have a fundamentally different definition of what God's will is. Paul sees God's will as God's eternal purposes that were put into motion with Jesus Christ. You see God's will as the next decision you have to make. And Paul is simply saying, whatever decision you make, you are in the current that God has set you in. You're in the river. Swim that way, swim that way, or go under if you want. But you and your life is going where the river goes. And you guys, there is a tremendous amount of freedom in that. First time that dawned on me, I was in the woods after more than an hour. Lord, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And I don't know that the Lord, I'm not sure if He speaks English, at least not my vocabulary, but He said something like, I don't care. (laughs) I was like, How can you not care? And it occurred to me that by the time the decision got to me, God, like a gracious father, had already removed from the menu anything that could hurt me. So by now, by the time I even got to the decision, it was pretty much the options were safe. A good mother never says to her child, What do you want to drink? Kool-Aid, pop, water, bleach, or gasoline? What? She simply removes the bleach and the gasoline from the menu and says, What do you want? Steve, you're overthinking this. You are in the will of God. Relax. The second big piece is that the will of God has less to do with your next decision and it has more to do with the way things end. This is why Paul says that we are waiting for that day when God will bring all things together under Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says we do these things for the praise of his glory. That's why Paul says he has given you the Holy Spirit, who is a down payment of the way things are going to end already in the present. The Holy Spirit is the presence of the future in you this morning. You don't need a compass. You swallowed one. Do you see what this means to every discipline in the room right now? Every job represented in this room. It's less about you saying, I don't know whether my job is the will of God or no. It has less to do with the job you're in, and it has more to do with the way that you do that job whatever your occupation is, if you do that job as a way of aligning it with the authority of Jesus Christ, that is the will of God. And that takes tremendous pressure off of having to get the job right. He's simply saying whatever job you're in, do it toward the end, which is... Christ is uniting all things in heaven and earth under his name. Do it like that, and that is the will of God. Are you still there? You see, if I were the devil, I'm not. But if I were, and I could not keep you from obeying the will of God, and I can't. then I would keep you from enjoying it. I would keep you feeling, even when you had it right, that you might have it wrong. I would keep you thinking that the will of God is always something else, something out there, something other than your fallen, rotten self. Because if I could get you to believe that, even if I couldn't have you, I would have all the benefits of what I wanted Church, can you see God is trying to liberate you? Paul is saying this has less to do with your wisdom and your clarity. It has more to do with your confidence. You have the Holy Spirit. Live into that, church, with freedom. Are you there? Still leaves That still leaves decisions to be made every now and then. And with 12 minutes left, we have to untangle that knot. There's a beautiful story in Acts chapter 15 of the early church getting together in Jerusalem trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles. If you read this passage and the passage bores you, then think of it like this. There are strong racial, ethnic tensions pulling at the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. The Jews have the church to themselves and the Gentiles are coming to Christ in huge numbers and the Jews have to decide whether they're going to make the Gentiles Practice rules, circumcision is what's on the line. Do we make the Gentiles practice rules that are more tied to our ethnicity than they are to the kingdom of God? It's a huge issue for the church. They're trying to decide is the church of God for everybody or should there be two churches? There is wonderful tension in the room. The Pharisees who have just come to Christ have strong legalistic tendencies. Don't be hard on them. They're actually, most of them, pretty good people. Few of them were rotten, but for the most part, they were pretty good but they were legalistic, and they came by that legalism honestly. They didn't want to be mean. They just read the scripture in a certain way, and they were speaking loud at this conference, and Paul and Barnabas got there, and they got right up in their grill, and they started going after them. I think it said they argued vehemently back and forth. You can see this church conference going on and the fighting is back and forth and finally the disciples say to themselves we better like put the people out and we better have a meeting between the few of us to figure out what we should do and as I read this I, I make notes to myself on how I might discern what God wants me to do in one situation for the other. One of the notes I made to myself is that people who make wise decisions put themselves in a position to make wise decisions long before the decision needs to be made. Paul says... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know what is the good and perfect will of God. So Paul is telling you there that your ability to discern the will of God is commensurate to the transformation of your mind. Do you realize that the biggest difference between you and Jesus is not his divinity. It's his mind and his heart. He has a better one. And if your mind and your heart were in the same place that Jesus' mind and heart was in, you'd probably fall out of bed like he did right into the will of God, it would be natural for you. When Paul says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, he's telling you that that an internal disposition of gratitude is a better place to be when you're making a decision than an internal disposition that's frustrated. Do you hear him? what Ignatius called consolation is better than desolation. A heart at rest is a better place than a heart in turmoil to make decisions. Put yourself in the position to make good decisions. I think this is how people in the New Testament, led by the Spirit, did these things. When Simeon, led by the Spirit, got up, walked into the temple courts, did he hear a voice that said, "Hey, dude, come on, get it. I need you in the courts." Probably not. He probably had an impulse. A hunch. I think I'll go into the courts." When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, do you think Jesus thought to himself, "Well, now's the time for my temptation." Better get out there into the desert and have at it with the devil. Or did Jesus just come out of the baptism and think to himself, you know, I have a longing to be alone. (laughs) Man, I bet it was that. When Philip is led by the Spirit to go stand next to the Ethiopian chariot, does he hear a voice that say, Philip, see that guy over there? Get over there and ask him this question. Or is it just curiosity that Philip looks over and thinks, I wonder what that dude's doing. He walks over there and stands next to the chariot and while he's walking, you say, what is this? Well, when you walk in the Spirit... I believe God has the capacity to use your impulses, your desires, and even your curiosity to pull you into the way of God. See, you think you have to get into a different mindset to figure this out. And Paul is saying you can walk in such a way with such intimacy with God that he will use all human faculties. To pull you into the will of God. Relax. <sighs> Second. Second. Spirit led people don't make decisions, they discern movement. A decision is a fork in the road. Do I go this way or that way? What does God want for my life? A discernment is a current that you get in and it pulls you. So when you make a decision, you're looking forward. When you're discerning, you're looking back. When you're making the decision, you're asking, What does God want me to do? When you're discerning, you're asking, What has God already been doing? So when when you get into the Acts 15 passage, the only other time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the entire story is when the disciples look back and they say what should we do with the gentiles then by turning around and looking behind them they start to say you know what god has made no distinction between us and them for he gave them the holy spirit just like he gave the spirit to us so now that we see what god has been doing they take that information turn it around and say, it seems to be that God is moving in the direction of one church with Jews and Gentiles. Are you there? You see it? It's essential that we not feel like we're at a fork in the road, but we are already in the movement that God is doing. You're not the only actor in the story. God has been acting long before you got here. So what has God been doing? Not in just the last three weeks, but in the last three years. What has God been doing that pulls you one direction or another? Relax. The beauty of this is that when you discern instead of decide, then you're never left with two or three options. You can be more generative and creative in what you do next. It's, it's, it's almost never just this or that. When you discern what, what, what God is doing, you take what you know and you try to weave it into where you go next. And it's often something you haven't thought of before. Are you there? Last one. Yeah, I'm conscious of the time. When spirit-filled people make decisions, they discern in the company of a faithful community. They don't often make decisions alone. So when I read the Acts 15 passage, what I see is this. First it's Paul and Barnabas, and then after that, it's James, and then after that, it's two more disciples stand up, and one of them starts quoting the prophets in the Old Testament. So by the time I am through reading this Jerusalem council, what I've seen is four or five different personalities topping up, and each one saying the same thing. In other words, the Holy Spirit does not convey all information to one person. He, he's like your mother. He never tells one child everything. If you want to know what she thinks, you got to get all the kids together. When the Holy Spirit is talking, he talks to y'all. When you immerse yourself in a faithful community, you get the collective wisdom that God has scattered. You're putting pieces together, the puzzle. What worries me about this? in the room this morning is I think a good number of you have multiple communities. I think you have a small group that you turn your spiritual life over to, and then you make business decisions in a circle of business-minded people, and then you make medical decisions in a circle of doctors, and then you You see what you have done? You are creating multiple communities and then you move the decision you have to make into the community of, wait for it, experts who know more about that. And then guided by the wisdom of experts, you make a business decision or you make a medical decision or you make a career decision or a spiritual decision. It might be better, I'm not sure, It might be better for you to consult the experts and then with that intelligence, bring it back to a small community of people filled with God who you live with and let them help you decide. Here's why. Because most decisions do not fail because you don't have enough information. Some of them do, but most of them do not. They fail because you did not put the information you had into the right constellation. Or you were driven by impulses that have nothing to do with information. So it might actually be better for you to seek the counsel of experts. These people do know things, lots of things. This just shouldn't be the final decision and then take what they have taught you and bring it back to a community of trusted people who know God and love you and say, this is what I'm hearing. What is God doing? Where is God going?